Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, sourceful of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Controls Tour. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. It goes up to 1972, all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never mm. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. <laughs> was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hello, Gary. Hi, Guy. So, big old legend today. Yes, he is. Marty Wilde is a rock and roll legend. He's one of the first rock and roll artists ever in Britain after Tommy Steele and Cliff Richard. And we were talking about the 50s. And, and the spawner of, of that rarest of things, uh, a music dynasty. Yeah, because uh, Kim Wilde is his mm. daughter and he co-wrote Kids in America and Cambodia uh, with, with his son, Ricky. Um, but, but I think those early days, he was one, you know, this is what's going to be fascinating to hear the story of, of, of Larry Parnes. I mean, Larry Parnes, I mean, how do you That's describe a name Larry? To country with. Larry? Larry Parnes was kind of a kingmaker, was it? He, he, he was sort of, a, he, he found and... He came up with all those amazing names, found those kids. He actually had a rock and roll charm school. It was either in Portsmouth or Southampton, where he would groom many ways his yes his uh, his charges. Yeah, I mean people like Billy Fury and uh, and Georgie Fame as well. He came out of Larry Parnes' school. Yeah, but I'm I'm sure. um, I'm sure Marty has got a lot. Because we're calling him Marty. He's Marty all these years later. But of course, that was one of Larry's inventions, wasn't it? He, he was That's Reg right. Smith. He wanted to. He, he was Reg Smith, <laughs> which is which is such a, such a beautifully kind of post-war name, isn't it? It's impossible it, it, to hear Reg without thinking of on the buses. If you're our age, isn't it? It is. Without it is. thinking of Reg Farney or Ronnie. <laughs> In your case. In yes. my case. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're talking about you know. Songs like Endless Sleep, sea, uh, sea of Love, uh, Bad Boy, which he wrote because he was one of the first people to actually write his own songs. A Teenager in Love was a massive hit for him. It was actually written by Doc Pomus and, and Mort Schumann. But um, but he was, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he was, I remember my, you know, my parents sort of knowing about Marty Wilde because he's sort of their generation. And, um, and, and he, you know, I, I had the privilege of seeing him play live uh, not that long ago. And... Uh, Boy, he's still got it. He's got some charisma. I'm waiting to see what he's going to be looking like on our screen. He has. He did. I know he... he um, my mum has mentioned him, huh? because obviously my dad was part of that. But I think it's early, slightly before... Well, it wasn't before him, but I think... I don't know if they crossed paths yeah, with Tommy Steele. 
because we'll uh, find out. Lionel Bart helped discover him, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, Lionel Bart saw spotted him and and told Larry Parnes about him. Let's get him on. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. That caused a big problem in the band, actually. I was having too much fun. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it, and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a pint. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! Marty. How are you, Gary? Oh, mate. Lovely to hear your voice. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Hey. You're in a beautiful, beautiful garden. You look the biz. Hello, Marty. Lovely to meet you. Guy Hi Price. there. Nice to meet yeah. you as well. And uh, do you know what? I was like, see you're in a lovely garden, and I know you're a very, very keen gardener, as indeed is Kim. And uh, I was hoping, because my missus is a nuts gardener, and I was hoping to position my computer to show you ours, <laughs> but... Uh, it's, there's just too much sun here. So. Yeah, well, it's a very, very hot day. This is one of the one of the hottest, I think. I've got a feeling it's going to be anyway. You were telling, you were saying there's a Zoom story. Oh yeah, yeah. I got caught doing 35 in a 30 mile uh, area in in South London, and so I, I got the naughty boy treatment. And I've got a three points on the license if I don't do this meeting, and you can do it by Zoom. And we we found that out. So we had it all set up yesterday, and the guy comes on, and uh, and then be, be, uh, you know, I was in my office then, which is just just down there, and it was part of the building. But it it, it, would, it couldn't take it; he couldn't do it. And he first of all, I saw him clear as a bell, talking to him. Yeah, already. Yeah, you already joined the meeting. Yeah, and then suddenly, bang! Uh, that was uh, it was off, and it, it cost you money as well because you if you if you if you don't do the meeting, you just move it on to another time. But I want you to do the meeting as well, because I think it's important. I shouldn't be a naughty boy, but 35 mile an hour in a 30 mile area. It's not- yeah, I got I got done for 27 the other day. <laughs> oh uh, but um, yeah, but listen, you're an old rock and roller. Yeah, but that, that was in a shopping mall, though, wasn't uh, it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you were caught speeding in a Corvette or something, or, 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 or yeah, a Thunderbird exactly. would be more apt. No, it was in an S500, and that was, I'll tell you, I'd been doing some speed before that as well. So, oh my goodness, I'd have been probably been. I mean, some of the speeds I have done in the past, unbelievable, even even quite recently. And I know this, this um, when they, this meeting is going to change my attitude, this Zoom meeting with with them. This, uh, I've got it this afternoon, and I know it would change my attitude to to everything to do with speed because one of my, my guitarists has had to go through the same course, and uh, he, he was telling me, you know, it, it does change. It's going to change my world. But that's never a bad thing. I mean, I'm 84 now. I love I love acceleration, and I love I love my car to bits. It's a... It's an, as I say, I go on about it because it's an S500. I think it's the best Mercedes that they ever made, apart from the S600, which I had one of those as well. But I know it sounds a bit flash, but I'm not really. But we should get you in a room with Nick Mason talking oh, cars. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he loves cars, does he? Oh, I love cars. Oh, mate, he did, yeah. 
It's, it's got one of everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're, um, you're on tour, aren't you, Marty? Or you're going on tour? No, I, 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 I do gigs. I do gigs around the country. That's the way I look view it now. I think possibly my, you know, I think almost no, my, my touring days, I think, are over. I think those days are gone, which is sad, really, for me. I mean, I know Eden Kane uh, is a dear friend of mine. Get, uh, uh, gets in touch uh, with me from um, from Hollywood where he is, and uh, but we can't, you know. There's there's no call for it really, and things move on, you know. And funny enough, my granddaughter has just been to see Harry Styles, and uh, Ricky took because uh, it, it, it's my great granddaughter. Sorry, my great granddaughter, and Ricky took took his granddaughter to to see Harry Styles, and they show us on the on the telephone, you know. It was absolutely. Was the I think it's the O2 or somewhere like no, no, it's Wembley, isn't it? Four nights of war, something five nights at Wembley. Wow, you know, if I get if I get three hundred in, I'm happy. <laughs> but Marty, do you think it's about when you can you imagine you back in the fifties? Did you have any thought back then that you would be in your eighties going, oh, I don't know if I want to keep touring? Yeah. I mean, that seems extraordinary, doesn't it? I never even thought about it. It never came into my head. The only <laughs> thing I can remember saying was when the press uh, were pushing for for quotes from me because I just started my career. And I, they said, how long is this 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 uh, situation with rock and roll going to last? I said, it will last a long, long time. I said, it's the, the biggest influence. I said, there's classical music, I would say, jazz and rock and roll. They are the three biggest rock and roll music. The music influence is colossal. And I said, it will impact into other forms of music as time goes on. So I was right, you know. Sometimes you I were. Really you absolutely were. Sometimes. You're a sage, Martin. But I guess, I guess back then as well, in the late 50s, there was a lot of race implications about rock and roll. Was, it, was, there, was there a sense that that was music that was from a different culture? I don't know. I don't think so. No, not so much that. I think it just frightened the, the parents because we were... It was the first time, really, that teenagers... After the war, that you're talking, you're, you know, you're talking about the fifties. They just learnt out They had a voice. They had a voice. They had. They knew they could. They could do do something. They could. They could. They, and the, I think teenagers before us were pretty subservient. I mean, in some ways, you wish they they were now in these days. You know, so they would do exactly as you're there told. You know. What you mean? Drive at the right speed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 exactly, yeah. But you, did you do conscription? Were you conscripted? Uh, no, no. I, I had. I could tell you the story of that. I, was told, I have told the story many times. But I, my father was a sergeant in a tra Sandhurst trained sergeant, and he said, "Look, son," he said, "You're gonna, you're gonna have to do. You know, they called you up. You're gonna have to go. You're gonna go for your medical." He said, "Now get in there and make the best of it. Make the best of it. Don't go in because Terry Dean had had an awful time." And had been pilloried by the press. Oh, he was another Larry Pons boy, wasn't he, Terry? Yeah, no, he wasn't. No, 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 oh, okay. no not at that point he wasn't. So anyway, um, he'd been pilloried by the press for, and they kicked him out of the army. So anyway, um, uh, I went for my medical, and then I uh, there was a question over my medical again, and I had to go down to St Alfred's Hospital. I always remember in in Greenwich, and um, the. The doctor said, looked, looked at my notes that had been given to him. And he said, don't think you're going to get away with this. He said, you're going in the army. I said, I'm not come here to, to beg you. I said, I've not, it's nothing to do with me. I said, I've been given this note to hand to, to you. You're, you're the doc, you're an, another doctor who's got to view my, my, you know, my, my, my health. 
So and he said, well, you're going to go in the army. So I thought, I thought, okay. So um, I said, oh, by the way, I've got a letter for you here, and I gave him a letter. And I'd been to, I'd been to um, uh, in in London, um, and then <laughs> the Paz had given me this letter from a uh, from one of the top doctors to say that I was, you know, I had flat feet. In other words, and I remember him reading it. In other words, you know, he was like this doctor in a certain hospital, but he wasn't that power man, you know, he wasn't the power doctor and he had to do as he's told. And he looked at me and I thought, well, I said, don't look at me, I don't know anything about it, which I didn't. But Parnes got me off of that. He must have cost him a fortune, it was, but it was worth it for him because I was in those days, you know, I was, I was not, you know, just starting to be a big star. Well, fairly big rock and roll star, so yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. what that's exactly what happened. It was it was it was strange, strange to see. It was great in a way. It's about this this guy. It was chippy. He was a chippy guy, you know. And I, I, th- I said, I'm not here to argue. I don't mind going in the army. He said, Well, you're going to go. I said, Oh, by the way, I've got a letter for you. Bang, and that was it. Oh my God, his face dropped a mile. We remember that. <laughs> Things we do. Yeah, my dad did do national service, and it was when he came back that he went to London and met up with Lionel. All oh, right, I, I think. Um, did you know Mike Pratt? Yeah, just briefly. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I certainly oh, know I Lionel Bart. My God, he was my, he yeah. was Ricky's godfather. Ah, Mike and Lionel, Mike's guy's dad, and they obviously wrote you know songs for Tommy Steele and right. those early days. Right. We will get on to Lionel Bart. Yeah, because but I just want to know before, because he discovered you along with Larry, didn't he? But I'd really yeah. like to to just to know a bit more about your musical background as a kid. Because you were talking about your dad, but he he really encouraged you from a very early age, didn't? Yeah, he, he did. Like I mean, a lot of parents do. You know, you see you see it today. I see it with my own grandchildren and my great grandchildren. I see Ricky encouraging them. They're obviously going to be singers or going to try to be singers or whatever. But yeah, he did. I mean, I remember, I remember uh, when I was when Dad was in the army. He, I can remember a sort of a, this brief memory of being wrapped in a big army overcoat, and they would pull me out, and there were, it was full of soldiers, because um, my father was a sergeant then, and uh, it was full of soldiers and all dressed in army kit, and they all cheered, and I, I, I came out, and they got me to sing uh, this little song, and I, it was called the song the the son of Sergeant Smithy, because Smith was a, is our real name and still is. And, um, and and so I sang the song of Sergeant Smithy and they all applauded. And that was probably my first taste of stardom because <laughs> once you start getting applause for things, that's when it changes. And that's when you your ego is in, it helps you a hell of a lot. It's like a, you get something, you're, going, you're not going to forget that. You know, I was, yeah. I wasn't very good at anything else. And, and, uh, and then with musically that I was encouraged obviously to he dad was in um dad would sing around the house all the time and one of the things which was really which was great with dad he he um when the radio came on in those days which was pretty old fashioned music some of it but lovely songs or great songs some great writers dad would harmonize dad would never sing the song he'd always whatever it was he would harmonize so as a young child, I learned to harmonise pretty quick, and I used to harmonise to all the songs as they came out. And um, this continued. It played a part in my life in so much as I was wasn't very interested in school at all. All I was interested in was music. So I used to look out the window, and, um, and there was a big factory nearby, and I used to look out and watch them at work in the factory. And um, and they'd say, "Smith," I said, "Sorry, sir, Smith." 
what did I just say? And I'd say, um, oh, um, come out here and then I'd be in trouble again. And uh, I was always singing to the boys and tapping and music would be in my head all the time. And um, I couldn't stop it. It, it was peculiar. And um, so anyway, that carried on. And then uh, one day in school, a guy called Jimmy Monday, I remember his name, old Jimmy, and it Jimmy Monday. Jimmy Mondays. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a song. It? It's, it's like it's like a Larry Palmer. <laughs> it <name>. is. <laughs> <laughs> and he bought a ukulele, and um, I said, "What's what? What's this? It's great, Jim. What's that?" And he started playing this chord. I said, "Oh wow! Oh my goodness, that's great! How do you do that?" He said, "Just put your little finger there on there." He said, "Right." I said, "Oh, what's that? What's that?" He said. Uh, G, I think it was, I remember, the uke. So I said, oh, yeah, and, there's, and that's a C. Oh, yeah. And that's D. Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. Show me again, Jim. Of course, then I said to Dad, could I have a... Because time had moved on now. Dad was, Dad had come out of the army, and uh, he was a tram driver, poor lad, like all those so many talented servicemen. They had no real job. They couldn't uh, fulfill their, 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 you know, their potentiality. Potential. Uh, they, and... Uh, but anyway, and I said, Dad, you know, the, this guy at school's got a ukulele. Could you buy me one? I've seen one at Pockets, which is a, a you know, secondhand shop in Trafalgar Road. So he said, no, well, I can't. He said, because we're on strike at the moment. Uh, I said, oh, well, could you come and see it with me? So he came over to Pockets and we stood outside the shop and it was hanging. It was a Keech ukulele hanging yeah. in there. Anyway, long story, you can imagine I got it. And then that was it. And then I, dad, but then the trams moved on to the buses. It was like a progression, I suppose. And um, uh, the buses, they used to let the 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 uh, drivers go out on a uh, to, to trips to South End, South End, or Margate. You know. Yeah, I did that once. My my neighbour was a was a was a bus driver. We all went to South End on his Red Rover, <laughs> on his uh, double decker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine upstairs at the top, uh, right up the top. Right in the front, I'd, get, I'd have my ukulele and then I would sing, you know, Little Brown Jug or the simplest songs, but they loved it. And, of course, the, this duffer in school, this boy that was always being told off by the teachers and, and uh, didn't feel, you know, good about himself, felt m wonderful when I, when I would see their faces. Yeah. And that's, that has re retained itself. It's with me all the time. You know, what music were you listening to at home? Or did you or turned you on anyway? Well, I, there was nothing turned me on. You couldn't. There was no choice. There was all you had was the. Uh, you had things like Ted Heath, which the band later on, of course, I was able to appreciate how good the musicians in the band was. Mm -hmm. But at that time, that wasn't me, and I wasn't Billy Cotton. You know, I, uh, you know, I respected Billy Cotton very much. So, but that wasn't my music. Palm Court Orchestra. That was awful. On a Sunday night, oh, I used to lie in bed, listen to this Palm Court Hotel, I think it was called, and they would play all this terrible Victorian type stuff. And I always had visions of, of ferns and, and uh, people dancing in gay costumes, and it was so damn boring. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, there was nothing that I, I liked. And that, that changed completely, uh, not totally, but completely when Guy Mitchell uh came along and frankie lane frankie was my favorite big influence frankie i love frankie still do guy mitchell i loved uh some of the some of the work that, that was done on his records uh, uh, there was a track called cloud lucky seven 
which um, has French horns in it. And um, I love that. That intrigued me because I like classical music. I, I, my teacher in school got me interested in classical music as well. So they were the early influences. There was Frankie know, Frankie Lane. Did he? He did lots of westerns, didn't he? Like what was the, what was his fame? There was a famous western soundtrack he did. Like uh, he did the songs. Yeah, yeah Rawhide or something. Raw, you know, was, yeah, he did Rawhide. Uh, so because all I'm thinking is that there's this kind of Americana, isn't there? That's starting to come in. There's got, you've got your parents' generation that are very you know Victorian Palm Court. And then you've got this American influence coming in yep. with westerns and and because yep. I mean obviously what you you end up doing is 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 pure Americana, isn't it? Really? Yeah. But also, but I would say sorry, yes, Martin, sorry, but where you go on is that you talk about this love of classical music, and I think that's something that really comes through all of your songs from the really early ones on. They always have some kind of quite sophisticated instrumental motif or some sort of classical instrument in them or something you always it wasn't straightforward bass, bass guitar drums and it, it's almost like as well as the americana that seeped into your stuff as yeah, well. yeah it did it, it, and it and it, of course it's come into it came into kim's career as well uh, when we were doing kids in america i wanted french horns and that towards the end of the track so little only tiny little things like that but they are big influences you know, it was the same with Gary, with, you know, when he was playing, you know, and when he plays, it's, it's those little just tiny things sometimes that come in. But classical music, I say, I, I adored it. And this teacher, this teacher was, um, you know, he opened up a whole new world for me, really, um, which, uh, you know, thankfully I managed to, to, to retain, you know, I, I keep that passion. I mean, you know, also I'll move on, though. I'll, I'll move up from where Frankie. Yeah. And then, of course, um, this rock and roll came across and I started to read about it. And uh, I thought, well, and I formed a little skiffle group in, in school with uh, heavily influenced, obviously by Lonnie Donegan. Um, but it, again, I'd learned from the git from the ukulele. I bought a guitar when I was, when I was 13. And, uh, which, and so I started to play these cause the chords are very simple uh, uh, chords. They're, and they're the same, almost the same as a uke. There wasn't a lot of difference. Initially, the C and the G and the D, they were very, very similar. So off I went, you know, I was playing a guitar. Skiffle came in. I had a head start. And uh, so I could sing all these songs that Lonnie was, was singing. And we, so we fought, I formed a group with uh, the guys, um, which is quite humorous in a way because... I've still got the books and, and everything from the past, the books that I had. And I've got, <laughs> so I had the positions. I, I was very controlling. I had the positions where the band were going to have to stand. How much <laughs> are we going to have get paid? Jim had one and six. It, it's hysterical, really. <laughs> and um, I had two and I had two and six. I had more. Um, something like that. And singers, oh, was singers. It, was it washboard and tea chest? Yeah, bass? it was a tea chest. But yeah, I've got Fantastic. a photograph. I've got a lovely picture of that. Uh, funny enough, so uh, someone from the from uh, who knew me when I was at school sent me in uh, a couple of pictures to Joyce the other day of uh, of of the tea chest base of Phil uh, Phil. Oh, bless him, <laughs> stomping away. But we were very. We were starting to get a name. We were starting to get popular. Uh, what was the name? Uh, the Hound Dogs, we were Red Smith and the Hound Dogs. Okay, so so hang on, but the the song Hound Dog isn't out yet. No, it? but the record. Sorry, Gary. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. It wasn't, <laughs> but it was a kind of a that was a kind of a crossover. Uh, um, because what happened was 
when when Elvis came out, I went to the tour. First of all, I went to see Bill Haley. I went to see Blackboard Jungle, the film. Uh, ah, his, music, his, his music opens it up. Rock Around the Clock. Stunning yeah. rhythm record. Still one of the greatest rock records ever made. Not my cup of tea, but still one of the greatest records. My parents went to see him at the London Palladium. It was one of their first dates. And uh, my dad talked a lot about the balcony that they were standing on. Just He felt it pumping <laughs> up and down. <laughs> and also, uh, Marcy, because you're hearing it in a film, that's a volume... Yeah. And a it power was. that you're never hearing any other music. Yes, you're at. exactly right. Very observant. Yeah, I never thought of that, but you're dead right. And and you know, it, it, you know, you know, one, two, three o'clock, and off it goes. And and I thought, my God, if the voice didn't impress me all that much, the bluesy feel there was a little bit of a blues, country blues to it, a little bit of that, but it was catchy, quite a catchy melody. But the rhythm, it was the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. And I went out of that cinema. I was walking on air. And the next day, I saw the boys at school. I said, right, skiffle, out. I said, it's going to be all rock and roll. And that's when we, uh, 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 I said, we would change, we changed, uh, I can't remember their uh, first name. But anyway, we went, I said, we're going to be called. Uh, and that later on, when Elvis came out, I called them, we switched it to the Hound Dogs. That's what we became eventually. That's how that rock and roll influence with me started it all started with bill haley but elvis was the one that really clinched it that I, I he flattened me completely he flattened me i'd never been so influenced in all my that first album which is still a classic classic album was was the one it was it hit me as mm-hmm. if you to hit me with an iron bar ten times. i mean honestly that's a piece of the cross isn't it that's that's like when saint paul came over and started preaching to to the europeans and we all embraced christianity that first album is 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 religion isn't it yeah, yeah it was of rock and roll oh it was also also as well marty from the way you've been talking about the music you listened to and all the stuff you liked and the stuff you didn't like did, there gets a feeling not only of this being incredible for you but like here it is. This is what I was waiting it for. Was. Oh, it was. It, oh, yeah. it was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was. I can't. I, I, and I was. So I was walking on air when I came out that cinema, and I knew. I knew in my heart. I just knew it. I, it was a, an instinctive and natural to want to dance to that, you know, and to want to sing to it. So when we we'd been entered, funnily enough, we'd been entered for a skiffle competition, and we we had we started to go down really well with people. And we went to this place, it was, it was somewhere in the south, and it was a big place. It was like a festival. And there were, you know, quite a few thousand there. And um, they, and they, they said, right, you're on now. And I said, okay, well, we, we do rock and roll. And calls. And the guy came on and said, I'm sorry, but you've got to stop. This is a skiffle competition. <laughs> it's out. So we got kicked out for singing rock. So what happens? Does the T-chest bass just vanish and become an electric bass or a stand-up? What, what happens? No, it was stand-up. Rock and, rock and roll wasn't electric it was bass. It was stand-up it, bass. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, rock and roll was. It was the T-chest, and then that's for the people that... You know, it was drums, wasn't it? It's about yeah, drums, it was, yeah, essentially. It it's, that's when I mean, you know, the, rock and roll. And at that point, you know, all all you needed was it, it, the bass. Obviously, would be a colossal bonus and and a must. But at that point, it didn't really matter. All it meant was like you wanted that rhythm, bang, 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 and anything you could tap to, you know. And Elvis must have changed your voice as well. 
Completely. Oh, yeah, completely. Although I still I still love Frankie. I still used to love Frankie, but I could never sing like Frankie. I couldn't. He had a, he had good vibrato and he had, um, uh, you know, he had uh, he was very different. He was a different influence as a, as a singer, but I loved him to bits. But Elvis was was I could sing a lot of those songs and not as well as Elvis, but I could sing them. And uh, that was the link. And that's probably the link still today with with people and bands you know people if they you can play something that someone's playing you you're a colossal advantage and you you you're linked to them in a in a funny kind of way what i was saying earlier because i'm trying to picture this and i reckon it i i think it was must have been happening this sort of love of america was defining your generation wasn't it this it was impressive kind of music and and culture that you were that, that, that your parents had no desire to become no, they didn't. I mean, um, I think my father, my father used to look at me in a strange way. You know, you know what, what is what is this guy? You know, what, what has my son got into? You know, how long is this going to last? A couple of weeks, and then he'll kick him out. You know, uh, but I was, I never, I never planned a lot. I just did what I wanted to do. It came very naturally uh, to me. Uh, most of the things in my life, musically, have always been very natural. Uh, they they just happen to me. I don't think too much about them. I don't go into depth. Um, not really. I just it's just an instinct. Music is it's part of my my very soul. I know it is. I don't. I think you're being a little unfair to yourself. I wouldn't say that you things happen to you. You tend to action them. And I mean, from right from the beginning, you were writing songs before anyone else yeah. was. But you know, yeah. for themselves. Well, well, that was out. That was born out of frustration because uh, Cliff was getting all the songs. Uh, Sammy Samuel, who was a, I think, was a brilliant rock and roll writer. Um, in fact, I, I mention him on stage these days. Uh, he's very, very underrated. It should be mentioned a lot. Sammy Samuel, those early songs that Cliff uh, recorded, if Elvis had done them, Elvis could easily have cut them as well. And they would have been monster, monster work. Move on. Um, you know, songs like "Move On" is that, move, is that move it, move it, move it. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Yeah, move, move, move it. Uh, nine times out of ten, and on, on, on dozens more. I mean, uh, "Dynamite" was a terrific rock and roll song, and a pretty good lyric as well. The lyric was had a little bit of thought to it, a bit more than just you know just around a simple lyric. In fact, I do "Dynamite" in my stage app. We've just changed some of the chords out, so trying to make it just a little bit more modern. But but it's um. He was a great, great writer, and he was writing these songs for Cliff. And I thought, you know, damn this, you know, this is crazy. And I thought, well, and I'd been writing. I had been writing. It was all trash. And um, so I, I don't know where, where the idea from Bad Boy came, but um, you know, I, was, I, remember, I remember being on, on the underground with somebody, and I was writing. I had some of the lyrics, and I started to write the lyrics down. And I remember, I remember I was on the underground writing with a biro, an, an early biro and, um, and a piece of paper. And of course it became a hit. So, but because it's one of the areas that I've always, up until, uh, until I was much later in life, it's something I didn't really work on. Uh, I should have done. I should have taken time out and said to Larry, Larry, you know, I don't want to, you know, I just want to take time out writing, but I never did. And, uh, there was always something else around the corner. You know, we want you here, we want you there. And I mean, you you write yourself and any writer knows, you know, you, you can't have too many distractions. I can't, I can't, I can't go out and, and do something in the daytime. I need to be on my own focused 
you know, very... Yeah, fun. You can't have Amazon ringing the doorbell, can you? If you no, you can't. <laughs> uh, but, but I've got... A, but can we just go back to Bad yeah. Boy? Because this is, this is the proto rock and roll punk everything song it's literally it's the template for every that's i mean had you seen the wild one the no, movie by at no, this point you no. hadn't because that's that's what it is isn't it it's that guy and it, it's become the black motorcycle jacket it's it, you're talking about that guy who is who is it who is kind of everything the, ro- the, the rebel the rock and roll rebel <laughs> yeah the rebel. yeah yeah no no i hadn't i hadn't <laughs> seen that no that's amazing. And who wrote the music for <laughs> Bad Boy? Oh no, I, it was me. I just I, I wrote it. I just wanted a when in those days, you know, the, the chords. Uh, I was I was because I'd been raised on skiffle chords, which were you know just basically A D, you know E D, G e. C F occasionally if you were dangerous, but you know um, no minors. You've you've already said too many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got all the punks confused. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah okay, just... but we need to we need to go back though before then because obviously yeah. the Larry Parnes discovery. Yeah. You were you were singing in clubs though, weren't you? As Reg Smith, uh, what you speak like the Condor? What, no, what were the names of the clubs that you well, were? Was the Condor out Club was one of them. It was the and Condor, Churchill's? which was posh, right? Win- Winston uh, 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 Churchill's, it was. Churchill's was the club in London. I don't know if it's. So I'm too... taking that wasn't with your rock and roll band. That was no. That was no. I'd been spotted by a guy called. Oh, I'm trying to think of his name now. I think it a minute. Joe, Joe Brunelli. Joe Brunelli, a Canadian, lovely man. This was before Larry, and um, he he'd heard me and uh, a really sweet guy. I wish I wish in a way he'd be my manager, but uh, he 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 was he he didn't have the power and the and the and the, and the contacts that Larry had. But he he got me two weeks work, and on the second week, which is at the Condors Club in Soho, um, I didn't know it because I'd left the club. And Lionel Bar had seen me, and it said to Larry, "There's a guy, young guy down there who's going down well. Um, he's a rock and roll singer." And and of course there weren't there weren't you know you couldn't grab him off trees. And obviously Larry was looking for more rock and roll stars, and I just happened to be there at that. That point when Bart saw me, I never met Bart until much later. Didn't even know him. Oh you know? wow! No. Oh, that's it. Oh, okay. That's what I wanted. So you wouldn't have no, seen my dad no. then, if you no. Gotcha. No, okay. but it, he. Uh, um, I used to go up to with my buddies, and I used to go to church, uh, Baptist church in Blackheath, on a Sunday, basically to meet girls and basically to uh, meet the boys. I've heard you say this before, and the idea of you're the only person I've ever said they went to church on the plane. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I, wasn't there, I wasn't there for religion, I can assure you. Yeah. I wasn't. That was the last thing on my mind. It's where people always used to meet. It's a, it's a classic. Yeah, it's like you've already become a singer. That's not enough. I'm going to try church as well. <laughs> no, I, no I, I wasn't a singer at that point. I, I was in my skiffle band. Okay, but, exactly. um, so I, and I, I, I got the bus home from Blackheath down to Greenwich. I got indoors and mum said, there's been a, been a man at the door who wants to sign you up. I said, what's to sign me up? She said, yes, he wants to sign you as an artist. I said, why? Who is it? She said, it's a man called, <laughs> she said, I'll find it out, Larry Barnes. I said, Larry Barnes, oh my God, mum, do you know who that is? She said, no. I said, that's Tommy Steele's manager. I said, he's the biggest thing in the country. She said, well, he wants to sign you and he's coming back. I said, you're joking. She said, no, he's coming back. He's coming back today. Oh, was it today or the next day? The next, the next day. This is like Simon Cowell, right? This is. He was, he was, he was, yeah, he was, I would say, yeah, he was, 
in some ways he was Mickey Mouse, he was Mickey Mouse Simon Cowell yeah. all rolled into yeah, one. Yeah. And um, it, there was a knock at the door the next day, and there it was. I had the contract, 60 40. I always remember that. 60, Who too? I had 60 for me, he had 40%, and I couldn't sign it because I was too young. Mum signed it, mum and dad signed it, and uh, that was it. I was off, and I'm because he wanted to give you a wage, isn't it? Wasn't that another no, option? No, no, I, wouldn't have, oh, no. I would never have accepted that. I won't yeah, say, yeah. I won't mention who. One of his old signed artists, who uh, he, that some of them complain like mad about about. You know, I went on, you know, I was only paid. That's their fault. That was their fault. I would never have done it. I had too much. I wouldn't say confidence, but there was something in me that thought no. That's second best. At least, you know, at least with, and sick, if it had been 50-50, I wouldn't mind it because the contacts and that, that opportunity, but it was 60-40. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals, and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants, and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health, and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. And did he want to change your name immediately? Yes, he, where was uh, that discussion? Yes, he did. After, he, he said, because I was Reginald Lennon-Smith, which I still am. That's still on my passport, still on my driving license. Just, just, what is your, sorry, what does your wife call you? <laughs> just. What is your wife? Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Where do you go to prison, Marty? <laughs> 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 well, anyway, he, uh, the, he said, look, your name, he said, uh, 
he said, it's, I said, I, I know what you mean. I said, I don't like reg. So I said, I'd like to change that. He said, yeah, I would like to change that. He said, no, don't, what, what, he said, what name would you like? I said, Patterson. And Larry said, Patterson. He said, why? So I said, well, I like boxing, heavyweight boxing and Floyd Patterson is world champion. Oh, okay. So he said, all right, you want Patterson? He said, I want wild. I said, wild, what's, what's that? He said, well, that's the way you are. Part of your nature is you got a bit of that in you. All right. I said, wild. He said, I said, uh, and he said, and also instead of reg i want marty oh larry i said oh my god that that sounds like some sort of sort of little college fat little college boy from america with a red face you know marty that's appalling so he said well, look he said we'll toss a coin for it i said okay okay we'll toss a coin he got the coin i checked out the coin and he won it twice he won it twice typical larry anyway I went home and I said to mum, guess what he's called me, mum? She said, what? I said, Marty Wilde. She said, oh, oh, she said, I like the name Marty. So I said, oh, God, mum. I said, uh, it's terrible. She said, no, no, I quite like that name. And I read about three weeks later, he'd put my four, or four weeks or a month later, he'd put my name on, on a bill. And it was Marty Wilde singing so-and-so. And I thought, wow, he doesn't look bad. It was like Suxi and the Banshees. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, yeah, I just, yeah, exactly, exactly. I just want exactly. a, a moment where, where I just, I've, because I, I made a note of some of, uh, of, of Larry Parnes's uh, uh, acts <laughs> and the names, oh, right? Yeah. So Billy Fury, obviously, yeah. Vince Eager, Eager, Dick, Dicky Pride, yeah. uh, Lance Fortune, uh, Duffy Power, yeah. Johnny Gentle, of course, Georgie Fame. Georgie the bit I like the most is Joe Brown stood up against him. He said, you're not changing my name because he wanted it to be Elmer Twitch. Oh, that's right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear Joe, yeah, my dear friend. But what was Larry like? What was Larry like? He was, well, he was, he was an interesting character. He knew nothing about music. Yeah, and I learned that from an early stage. You know, he'd say to me, "That brass part's really good," and I'd say, "That's not brass, Larry." He said, "That that's a brass part, Marty." I said, "That is a guitar with a bit of distortion, things like that." And I thought, "No, you, you know nothing. You know nothing about it." And I, and I always remember as well. One day, uh, one of the guys rang uh, from they where they were abroad, and they said, "We've just heard this song. You should cut it. What is it?" He said, well, listen, I'll put it, I'll play it to you over the phone. It's called Valare. And we all listened to it and said, it's crap. <laughs> he said, no, it's going to be a huge hit. We said, no, it'll never be here. <laughs> anyway, just, that's just an aside. But um, no, he didn't. What was he like as a person? He was, um, he could be an absolute sod. He could be a bit of a, bit of a naughty boy in many ways with people that he didn't like. He liked me, I think, because I, I did have a, I wasn't one of these tough guys. I wasn't, I wasn't a hard faced. I never have been, and so I I, I I used to speak it as it was uh, as honestly as I could. No, no flaws, no, no sort of you know design around it. Just just me talking straight, and I think he respected that. He did respect that, but some of the others, he he, <laughs> you know, he oh he could be he could. I mean, he I always remember, and he could be. He, I always remember with Big Jim Sullivan, my wonderful guitarist. And, oh, yes. um, we came off a train at Houston uh, and with, with Brian Bennett and all that. We all, we all got off the, uh, we all had our equipment. So Larry said to this porter, porter, porter. So that, and that's how he would talk like that. Porter, porter, come here. 
uh, the porter came up when they had this. He said, could you give me a trolley, please? And we put all this, this equipment on. So he said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he tipped his hat, whatever, like that. And he brings up this big trolley and, and on goes the amplifier. And on goes the guitar. And then on goes the, oh, we had a double bass as well, I think. Is that a double bass? <clears throat> goes another amplifier, yeah, another amplifier, and another guitar. Yeah, that goes on. And he eventually got it all in, and they put the clothes on as well. And they're all in this. Make sure they're all on the top and hanging up. Made the, not hanging up, but lying on the top. They're lying on the top, right? So the guy's wheeling it down there, and Larry said, "I'm going now." He said, "Jim, come here a minute." He said, "Jim, give him a tip," and he gave he gave Jim Thrupney Peace, which was nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I'll also remember this porter picking, he said, what is this? The poor old Jim had to face it. But, I mean, he, Larry was, um, I, I, you know, we, I got very, very close to him. He was, um, he, he was a, a, a dangerous time for him because he was, he's, uh, his, his life was a different kind of life and he could have gone to prison for for what what was around him at that particular point in time and um mm -hmm. so we had a we had a deal that, that he would live his life uh, you know I'd nothing to do with me and I would live my life and he would not interfere in my personal life and I would never interfere in his and that was kind of a deal that we had right through our lives and I loved him in the end I got to really care for him and um, he, he, I mean, he was a tough guy to, in some ways, to get to know. Very good-looking man, very charismatic, you know, very good-looking man. And um, he, he, I mean, he, he's a funny guy, you know. Really, he, he would give that 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 porter Thrupney piece to for after doing all that work. And he would, if he found a stray animal, a stray cat, a strange, uh, a stray cat rather, or a stray dog, he would take that dog and he would spend. He, even in those days, he would have spent a thousand pounds on it to get it. Yeah. It was just, it was a, that kind of a character. You know, I was there to to be to work for him and to do as best that I could, and he did the best for me as well. Um, so it was a it was a, a good partnership in many many ways. But what about um, John Kennedy? Because that wasn't that weren't they part? No, that's right. Kennedy is um, well. Kennedy yeah. is very rarely mentioned. That's because exactly. I always wonder about that. He was kind of the power behind he the throne. He, he in many ways yeah. he was. Well, he was a press man. He was a press. Larry was a right. businessman, uh, and the good-looking guy. Mind you, um, uh, you know Kennedy was a was a was a, a good-looking guy as well. But but Kennedy was the press man. He could get any people. Right. And I'll give you an example. We we were in Battersea Park. Um, the, 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 in those early days at that big, like a park, which is and, and fun fair and all that business. I don't know if it's still there. It probably still is. I don't go down that way, but. Uh, no, it's gone. Is it? gone. Ah, well, well, I went there and it was packed and I was a star and at the time. And um, we were there and I, we were with a, a, a girl, a starlet that Larry had got. Um, they, they'd found this starlet to come with me. So the starlet would be with me. And um, uh, anyway, we're. Uh, Swanson, her name was, I remember. She was a lovely kid as well. And so we were, and Rippingale, Keith Rippingale was the guy who was with me. He was the road manager. And we were in Battersea, Battersea they, thousands of people. And and what's called, it said, we need some press. John said, we need some press. He said, I know. Gloria, whatever her name, I can't remember her first time, I think it was Gloria Swanson. He said, come here. He ripped the back of her dress right down to to her, to her backside almost. And he said, right, Marty, you stand here. 
And then and he had, I didn't even know it, he'd had a photographer coming around with us all the way. And it was that Marty World had saved this young girl from shame and everything else. <laughs> front page. From Mel, I remember oh it was God. front page. It made, the, it made all the newspapers. And another time, which was awful, was another time we were on a coach and we were on tour. And they said, we need some more publicity for these future dates that we could get more people in. So he said, right, you've got a, you've been in a terrible fire. I said, been what? He said, you've been in a fire and you're injured. He said, when we arrive at the theatre, we're going to call them ahead of t and tell them that you're badly, badly injured, but you bravely are going to turn up as the man that you are, the rock and roll singer who loves his audience despite terrible injuries. Disfigurement. I said, what are you talking about? So they stopped to the chemist shop, <laughs> got all these bandages, and they, I tell you, man, they, they wrapped me up <laughs> like a mummy, and I blown my head and everything. <laughs> yeah. And when I got there, of course, you know, all the press were there. They don't, the press were there, all right. But Marty Wilde had been badly injured, you know, and there were uh, all that. It was in the north, and uh, again, front page, you know, it was, that was what. How long did it take you to recover? <laughs> well, well, like the next day. Do you have to have skin grafts and stuff to make it authentic? Yeah, you're like Tom and Jerry. You know, <laughs> Those like days, you just moved on and everyone forgot about it. Hopefully, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that is right. When did Mickey Mouse come into your life? Mickey came into my life. Uh, I met Mickey many years before we ever did business together uh, in South Africa. He was a big star in South Africa, a singer. And um, then uh, he also, him and his, uh, he had a, a guy who wasn't his brother, Alex. Uh, they toured together on my, on my early bills. The first, in fact, the first tour I ever did, it's in my in my the, the, the bills still up there on the wall, and um, it was the Most Brothers, and he was part of a duo, and they would yeah. sing, and they were they weren't very good. I'm telling you, I've that. seen those posters in Rack Studio. They're still there. <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, then later on, obviously with with um, with Mickey came in. Uh, Ricky took a demo down to to Mickey uh, with with him with him with a uh, Ricky singing, and um, it was it was a great track as well. He could, Ricky could have had a, a solo career, but he uh, Kim had been had gone down with him and was standing with him, and he said to Ricky later on, "Who's the girl?" He said, "It's my sister." Oh, he said, "Interesting." He said, oh, "Okay, can she sing?" And that was that that whole thing started, and um, so de uh, Rick Rick said because he had a track called "Falling Out," which I falling out. Which was I thought was a great pop track at that time, a very commercial. And um, he'd written it, not me. And um, so he said, "Mickey wants a song for for Kim." I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "For Kim, not you." He said, "No, he wants Kim." Okay. And that's how it started. It was written in this house, "Kids in America" was written in the house. And uh, I'll always remember he had he'd come up with this melody line and the chords. And I liked it. There was something about it I liked. I'd been seeing this program about American children, and, and it really frightened me. And I thought, my God, you know, what are they going to grow up like, these American kids? And this was in the 80s, you know, about 1980, uh, 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 1979, 80. I'd been reading up a lot about American youth. And, and some of it, they, they were so hard-faced. I thought, God, will they ever soften down and become, you know, just normal people? So when Kids in America was written, it was written, it was really, it was very pro-women because it was a woman was in charge. A man, it was, she's telling him, 
you know, you don't check your watch with me, mate. You know, you you do what I'm told. And I, I wrote that because that's the way I viewed American, the American youth at that time. And then when we we got in the studio, that was the strength of us. The the two of us was with my background, which was completely different uh, t to Rick's, but. I would introduce things to him, but he would really introduce so many things to me, sound-wise and chord-wise and everything else. And we learned from each other, really. And that was that was the strength of us as a team, no, no question. Well, that, that's, what's, that's what is fantastic, is that, you know, those early records of yours, which are, which sound, I've got, what's interesting, a lot of those 50s records, I would say sound better than early 60s in terms of technical recording. Like the sound of your records is fantastic and you're defining as sort of zeitgeist then. And then Kids in America is absolutely exactly the sound of that time. It was. I mean, it's a brilliant thing to be able to bridge yeah, know, amazing. that bigger time in popular music. It was, and it was the advent of the, uh, you know, um, there was a record called Autobahn and that Ricky had got this... Uh, Craftwork. Yeah, and, uh, and Ricky had got the record. And uh, he said, Dad, listen to this. He said, it's uh, com all computers. And I da 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 I loved it. I thought, oh well, this is something different. It's just something great. And then, of course, um, that was it. I was hooked, and I was still am. I'm still hooked on computers. I love computers, and I know they've come back in many ways. They never go. They won't ever go away. There'll always be a place for them musically. I'm sure they will. The most scary thing in the future is, that, I mean, they're talking about A1. They're talking about I've AI. Yeah, AI. AI. Sorry, I call it the A one because that's what. That's, <laughs> what no, that's that's where you got done for speeding. What, what for gap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got done on the AI. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, they. Um... I, I mean, I feel like I jumped a massive gap with bringing in Mickey Most. Um, I, 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 obviously, like two decades, but uh, but you developed as a songwriter after your success as a as a pop star. You carried on. As a songwriter, in fact, you you wrote, you know, you wrote for Lulu, you wrote for Status Quo. Yeah, yeah. as a great song for Status Quo, and again, absolutely zeitgeist, an absolute summer of love, psychedelic, nineteen sixty seven song. Yeah, well, it was, I wrote. Then I was writing with a, a, another uh, a fine writer called Ronnie Scott, not the jazz man, but Ronnie Scott, and he wrote for Bonnie Tyler later on, Lost in France, and those tracks. And uh, but oh, well. and uh, he was a, he was a great writer, a great uh, and. Uh, yeah, we, we, we just, it just worked. It worked great for us. I mean, I had, I remember with Jessamine, I had, um, I started for the chorals and right? I had the chords and, and I had initially chords and uh, the, cause I can only play in C on, 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 on a key, keyboard. So I was playing in C and I was, and I was going to sing that three and I'd got so far with it and I couldn't get any further. And I couldn't get any fun around What can you say? I had all that that a girl doesn't want, but it still wouldn't have been anything. And he heard it and he said, And Jasmine stays, though time goes fast. Just a slight alteration of the part of the melody. And that was it. It clicked. And um, he was that kind of guy. He'd come in here, he, he had the magic, a little bit of that magic ingredient. But, um, and, we, and that was a hit for the corals, wasn't it? Uh, corals? Casuals. Corals? Sorry, the casuals. casuals. I'm so sorry. Yeah, the I'm casuals. So sorry, casuals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's still one of my. Uh, I I love their record of it, um, and I, I just like the sentiment of it. It was such a simple song, but it was a very honest song in a way. It was a. There was something about it that was just simple. It was, it was beautiful. There's an honesty about it. I can't explain it, but there was. Yeah, there was. And and Lu how did Lulu 
how did you end up writing? You wrote I'm a Tiger, didn't you? Phil? Yeah. Well, I had I had the hook of I'm a Tiger, and uh, it was written for children. And um, I thought it'd be great that this would be great for 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 kids. I'm a Tiger, and I could see the kids all dancing to I'm a Tiger. Yeah, that would work. That would really would work. I said to Ron, you know, I said, Ron, I've got this idea. I'm a Tiger. He said, okay, sing it to me. So I said, well, this is it. And he said, uh, okay, look like, and then he came in with a look like a little girl living in a big, I said, yeah, that, that'll work with it. And then, and then we, then we, both of us got into it together and it was meant for children. It never was. And he had a connection. I can't remember how, oh yeah, it was, it was connection was with Mickey. He was a friend of Mickey's. And he said, um, that was, that was the strange thing. And he said, he said, I, I've, I've taken it to Mickey. I said, what? I said, well, the Chick Kids song. He said, yeah. He said, yeah, Lulu. I said, Lulu? He said, yeah, she could murder this. So I thought about it and I said, hey, hold on a minute. What about Nancy Sinatra? That would be even better, you know, not being funny. I don't want to knock Lulu, but uh -huh. I thought, you know, make more money with Nancy Sinatra. And um, he said, no, no, no. He said, no, it's good. I think Lulu wants going to cut it. But I don't think, I'm not being honest, I don't think Lulu ever liked the song at all. Um, but it, it wasn't my fault, Lulu, if you're listening. It was, so, it was written for uh, for the youngsters initially, but it, but it worked. I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it was a hit, so we're not going to knock it. Because <laughs> you like a story, I don't love, you? For you, so, songwriting is yeah, storytelling. I, I love it. I love it? films. I'm writing today, I'm writing, got my guitar here. And um, I... I writing um, a track at the moment of a, someone who's saying goodbye to someone um, to go into war. And uh, so I, I tried to build up it's like kids in America, all those songs, Cambodia. Cambodia was one of the best lyrics that I came up with because it did paint a picture of a terrible uh, goings on in that part of, of Asia or that part. Of yeah, I know that's, it's an extraordinary subject to, to sort it's... of present to your daughter as a follow-up hit single to, yeah. Kids in America. Well, it? I don't know, but you know who else would touch on a subject like that, which is a, it would would be orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You know, and it's quite, and it's sonically not a million miles yeah. away from them. I mean, it's that beautiful, that lovely motif. It's yeah, got yeah. Well, that that funny enough, that that started out with Rick had got, I think it was a a, a German group, and again it was a computer, and and the album he brought the album into into this house here where I'm sitting, and um, and it, it go. Almost like a classical piece. I thought, play it again. He goes, He said, Yeah, that's an idea. Yep, off we went. Bang. He wrote, wrote, finished the whole damn thing off. And um, and then initially he was written it, and I, I wrote the lyrics down, sitting down downstairs at Rack Studios with earphones on just playing this cassette over and over again this backing track as that's the way I used to write and um in the end we 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 i uh, i love the track but i thought well like you're saying is it won't mean a lie here and um mickey said this is going to be a smash he always said this when it was a gonna when it was going to be a hit i said do you think so mickey where he said france i said france <laughs> Do they buy records? He said, do they buy records? Yes, they do. He said, this is going to be a monster hit. And of course, he was right. And and, and Kids in America, he said, I remember Kids in America, he's playing it on his speakers in rack, full volume. And his wife, his lovely wife was sitting there as well. And we're all sitting listening to it. He said to me, turn around, he said, what do you think? 
I said, I definitely think it could make the top 50. He said, the top 50? He said, it's going to make the top five. Don't worry, even worry about it. And he, he was that kind of, he was a genius, Mickey. I, I loved him to bits. Uh, he was a tough man in many, many ways, but uh, I loved him to bits. I loved his talent, yeah, awesome talent. How was it for you to um, see your daughter going off and becoming a, did you have all the same worries that your dad had about you? Uh, no, a star. no, I didn't. The only thing I worried about was not coming up with the right song for her. That that was a pressure. And what, what used to hurt, and it did hurt as well, is at that particular point, Rick and I were, were writing the, 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 the songs for her to try and give her a hit. And but then I won't say the artist, but one of the artists who would do a cover and it would be number one, and we'd be number six or something like that. And I used to get really choked to think you know we could we could we could have done covers and got Kim to do loads of covers but we never we would try to to write the hits ourselves um but I used to get really not almost angry really but this other artist here was getting you know was was number one why can't you know why can't we you know it's not shaking we, Stevens was it or was it shaking I love incidentally I do love shaking uh, and I love shaking I love I love these records you get me wrong but it, it, for someone who was writing the songs, right, trying to write the hits, and I, maybe you you probably hit the same thing because yeah, no, you you know you, you, it happens to a lot of writers. I tell you, it does, especially when someone's doing covers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a part of your story, uh, Marty, which we have to talk about, uh, is is a love story, isn't it? Because because one of the reasons yeah. that you you sort of finished with Larry Parnes and maybe even finished as a as a rock star is you chose love because you met Joyce, who you're still with now, all yeah. those years ago. I mean, and and Larry didn't like you, or the idea of you getting married, did he? No, no. I mean, it, he, he he said, I said, I've met a girl. I said, Larry. <clears throat> I said, and, um, I want to get married. So he said, I want to get married. So he said, yeah. I said, yeah. And so he said, well, all right. He said, well, let, we'll call somebody. And we had a meeting. And we sat down and we dis discussed what would happen, and this gonna, this would affect your career greatly. So I thought, who cares? You know, who gives a damn? I, I could personally give a damn. You know, uh, again, I just, I just, you know, it was a natural thing for me to do. A, I go head first on a, a, you know, I met this girl. I knew this girl. He, he said, well, she could be, you know, we could keep her in the background and she could be, you know, as a, they, in those days it would have been called a mistress. And I thought, no, 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 I'm not having that. No, no, no. She's she's too good for that. Um, so I, I said, no, no. I mean, we could have kept the marriage secret, but then I think the temptation for Larry was a publicity. Well, as John Lennon tried to with his marriage at the beginning. Sorry? Uh, John Lennon was sort of yeah. his marriage secret yeah. initially. yeah. Yeah, funny enough, you used to mention John Lennon. I remember being very drunk in this house. Um, I got really, really, I don't drink anymore, I must add, but I, I was in the days when I was used to drink and I got very drunk and I started to cry. I listened to Jealous Guy. And the reason I say that is I heard Jealous Guy today. What a fantastic song it is. And, yeah. you know, so many things, songs, but that hurts me. You know, you you were involved, Gary, with with songs that you know that are phenomenal. That that phenomenal song, technically in every other way, and you know, I, I want the whole world to hear. You know, when I, your song, Jealous Guy. You know, all these songs that I love, 
but they've moved on you know they're into they're into to other things at the time it was interesting in the get back movie because you see john already developing that song don't you but with completely different lyrics am i right to remember that i think i, I don't I think... yeah you're right to remember that because someone said that there was the story that it was originally it was he'd ask yoko to give him a list of all the people he'd slept with blah blah but something came out that he maybe said to someone it was actually about paul ah, but what i loved about it which was the honesty and that's what you know when i was drunk mm. and crying <laughs> which I don't have to admit to, but I was a jealous guy because it was dead right. You know, it was dead right. You know, the ego, you know, you, you were unsure. You thought they didn't simple, basic things of, about love and, 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 you know, but, but it nevertheless, you know, the, the honesty of that, the reason I say it, I played it today by someone else. Um, another, another group were playing it. And, um, I thought, was it Roxy Music? No, I think it was. Oh, I'll find out for you in a second. I can tell you. Because I've, pl I've played it with them. Ah. <laughs> Aslan. Aslan, the Irish. Have you heard that singer? A band? Aslan. No. Yeah. And um, that, that was one of the tracks. And I thought, my God, yeah. Jealous, jealous guy. What a great song. What an honest song. I love honesty. I do love honesty. And I love honesty in lyrics as well. But back to Joyce, what sort of smart people like Gary have done. But again, you were way, way before the pack. Has she persuaded you to do things like keep your own publishing, right? Yes, she did. Now, was that to do with... And you keep referring to this house, which is clearly a very dearly beloved house. You've clearly been there a long time. Is that the house that you were trying to buy when the prospect of selling your publishing came up? No, no. I mean, there oh, was... Well, there okay. was... What had happened was there was an opportunity because we... We had about three in the charts at the time, and um, we knew that there was going to be a certain amount of money coming in, whatever. And I'd seen this house. I'd come up to to Hertfordshire, I'd moved from Greenwich to, to well, I come up for the day to see houses in Hertfordshire. And um, when I saw it, I, I knew I wanted it from the moment I, I stepped. Uh, I fell in love with it. It was an immediate love affair, um, which has never left me. Every time I come through the gate, it's still a love affair. Um, but I knew that there was going to be money coming in to, to buy that house, potentially. Um, but it, mind you, it, it, it took a long time to come in. One thing I must just go back on about Larry and my marriage. He never stood in the way. He never, he didn't put things in the way and start introducing other women to me or become a pain in the, you know, uh, you know, saying bad things. He, in fact, he, he treated Joyce like a princess, which was really sweet. And I love him. And of course, that. out out of your marriage to Joyce came Kim and your biggest hit in America ever. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. It was a strange thing, and and who knows where it'll go? You know, it. Um, um, you know, my my grandson Harry um, is a great is a great singer. He's in a and he's in music and and do granddaughters and that. They're all all in me. Roxanne sings. Kim sings. Still on tour and. So it, it's it's uh, yeah it's a strange the way it all it all came about. But did you feel frustrated in those early sixties when the Beatles came along and and that that you'd you'd really smashed the door open for everybody, uh, and that but you weren't part of that at that at that moment. Yeah yeah well in, in a way I mean but I was so in awe of them as well uh, when I was I used to work Liverpool Empire, and one year I worked here I always remember this. Larry got me in Liverpool Empire four times, four times in one year, which is unusual for an artist to go back like that. And, um, and I packed it out each time. McCartney was in one of those audiences. McCartney reminded me that. He even told me one of the gags I'd said on stage, which was really, 
and and uh, but the 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 guy one of the guys who was close to them he'd bring in magazines with with these black and white pictures of this rock band with chains around their neck and and longer slightly like different hairstyles and everything he said this is the beatles he said they're fan have you heard of them marty so i said no he said oh they're fantastic he said they're gonna they're really fantastic and i'll leave you with the magazine i said all right you know then i'd look at it a bit you know and i'm you know and then a few few uh then towards the end of the year he every time i came there he'd have these new magazines with the beatles and something to see this amateur band or a band now that had gone to germany and and uh were, were doing well and then one day i went to chester i was working in chester in a ballroom and some kids were there youngsters and this girl said to me i enjoyed your show i said thank you she said have you heard of a band called the Beatles so I said yes I have as it happens I said they're a Liverpool band she said they are absolutely fantastic I said really and the other girls another girl said oh they were wonderful and another girl said and then the and about 10 girls they're going the Beatles are I thought star they're going to be a star I knew it I knew it I knew it yeah. so when Love Me Do came out I said to Joyce see who this is she said oh my god yeah it's the Beatles you know because Joyce is from Liverpool and um and that was it i knew i just knew and i knew beforehand they were going to be stars you know yeah. what was that joke yeah but more yeah. importantly what was what was the yeah. gag that mccartney reminded oh. you about you were going to say the same yeah. thing weren't you gary yeah. well, <laughs> well i used to say uh, i used to say um uh, ladies and gentlemen we're very honored uh, this evening uh, somebody's just come into the, the theater who i think we should all stand for ladies and gentlemen would you please stand for the president and they would all stand and including McCartney and uh, the president and they'd all stand like that and I say of United Dairies and of course then they'd all sit down again. <laughs> <laughs> he reminded me of the gag he said oh dear Oh, but be yeah, that's wonderful. United Dairies. Oh, so you could still pull that one in almost. You could. You could. Yeah. yeah. We might. We might <laughs> on, the, on our next tour. Uh, Marty, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Gary. I, I think we, we covered the bases, didn't we, really, Guy? We covered everything. We didn't mention, but you, of course, you did a lovely duet with your daughter. I did. Yes, I did. Of course. Yeah, nice. I did. Uh, yeah. The, um, sorry seems to be the hardest word. But you also you did that great thing, which is a lovely thing. Was it her sixtieth oh, oh, birthday, where you, where you kind of joined oh, being the sixties well. with being Yeah, we did 60. that one as that well. Great. Yeah, we did the sixties as well. Great. Yeah, and and I, yeah, I wrote that, and I was I was pleased with that. Yeah, I've learned a lot over this uh, the last few years in many many ways. I'm sort of catching up because the Beatles and all everybody else who are good musicians knew all these tricks all along, but I never did, and um. So I started to tune the guitars to different, uh, I, I tuned it to E and I use that a lot, quite a bit. And when you, when obviously when you do that, you're going to hear chords and, and, and you can make up completely different sounding chords. They obviously they're musical, but then they're, you know, but they're different. They're very... So is there a plan for a new album? Are there what? Is no, I, no, I'm, I, I, well, I've got these tracks. I keep, I can't stop writing. It's, it's embarrassing so in a way because I think Marty, you're 84. Come on. Listen, we had Ian Hunter from the Hoople on a few weeks yeah. ago. He's 84 as well. He's just got a new album come out, which I love because it's called Defiance Part One. Oh. 
Right. So, you know, he's planning on quite a few parts going ahead. Um, it's it's what you do, isn't it? You're not going to stop doing that. But I just wondered if you were going to try and communicate, let the public hear these songs. I I will. I've got I've got. It's funny. I've got the guitar. Here. I was playing it just before you, um, you I joined you. Um, I, I got this song, which um, it's, it's like a very laid back song about someone who's leaving to go to war. And although people might tie it in with the Ukraine. I don't want them to do that, really. It's, this could be any time, any soldier, at any point in the future or in the past who had to go to war and had to say goodbye temporarily. And and uh, and in the song it said, you know, um, you know, I can't give you the title because the title is a clincher. The title... Ah, you love a good title, don't fantastic you? Fantastic title. I love yeah, it. I know. Love me, love my dog. Oh, yeah. my God, we didn't mention that. What oh, a song yeah, that was. Do you know that. what? It was one of the first yeah. songs I learned to play on guitar. No. Yeah, I've ever... Yeah, playing that song. I don't know why it came up. I think I got the lyrics from one of those Smash Hits magazines before uh, Smash Hits became, as we know it, in the 80s. It was just the lyric <laughs> magazine, yeah. Oh dear! Still, <laughs> it's all a learning process, and I, I mean, again, again, you know, I I love finding something new. You know, it can be anything, and can be modern, can be you know, can be from the past. I love, I love a lot of songs from the thirties. I am astounded at how good the lyrics are. Um, yeah. A lot of the songs that Sinatra sang, some of those lyrics, you know, and then you go to, um, you know, South Pacific, you know, as the melody and lyrics and the ideas. Um, you know, and I've loved so. You know, my my life is full of just joy, really, because I'm I'm listening all the time to, you know, every, almost every damn minute, almost of the day. The only strange thing with me, with my writing, and I don't know if you're the same, Gary, is that I'll get a day where it's the last thing in the world I want to do is to write a song. I do not want to go anywhere near it, and I and I just have one complete silence, and I think, and then I I'll go to bed that night and think. Blimey, you know, I've lost it. I've lost the. Oh, wow. The next day, of course, oh. I wake up, bang, and it's all back again. But Amazing. these these times when I, it's the last thing I want to hear is is a new lyric or a new, but I don't know why that is. And the, but when it does come back, it's it's intense. It's absolutely intense. I can't stop. It's it. about self belief, isn't it? Always yeah. about self belief. I tell you one thing. Just one thing before we go. We mentioned about Lionel Bart, and one thing which fascinated me with Lionel. Now, Lionel would sit with us, because we're all songwriters and sitting around with the sods, and you analyse how he wrote those songs for the, for the great songs, great songs for the musicals. He didn't write music. That's right. He didn't write... Didn't play an instrument. Well, I went to my shropodist, it sounds weird, a shropodist in Barnet, who no, he died, he's no longer uh, alive anymore, a Jewish, a lovely Jewish man. He's six and, feet under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's not a chiropodist. That's a terrible chiropodist joke that just came into my head. <laughs> oh, Gary. And, uh, Sorry. He said to me, but God, well, those feet. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> anyway. he, he was doing my, he was cutting my, you know, finishing off my feet. And he said, you, he said, you know, Lionel. I said, yes, I do. Very well. So he said, well, he said, you know, I've, I've did a lot of the work for him. I said, did you? He said, yeah. He said, I used to convert what he'd written uh, on on from the piano and my mind went back to a time when i went to lionel lionel wrote me a song well, he didn't write for me but he wrote this song which wasn't particularly good as it happens in my opinion but um he wrote and when i saw lionel's piano it had it had something like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten 
And when you looked at his sheet for these melody lines, it was six, 12, 24, three, and that's how that man got those. And that, you think of the great musicians and the great technical people that have been in our, our and are still in our sods. And that man worked that way to get some of the most incredible melody lines, catchy mm -hmm. melody lines, great lyrics, of course, but that for, I, I think Irving, is it Irving Berlin? Like, I've got an amazing, yeah, sorry. I've got an amazing picture. You remember Gary, it yeah. up, he used to be up in my studio of Lionel sitting at the desk and my dad sitting at the piano because that's how they had the room set up. And it was, it's really nice, it's dedicated to my dad, just goes, and then we wrote Love Lionel. Uh, so that's how it used beautiful. to be. My, my dad would. I mean, I, th I think I think Irving Berlin. Uh, I think it's Irving Berlin. People can correct me on social media. Only played the black notes, and he had a lever B flat. B flat. B flat. He only played in B flat. And he had a lever oh, on the side oh, of his God. piano, so he could change the key, but still play the same white notes in B flat. Uh, we all have our methods. I've actually seen Marty play up on get up on stage with it with Kim and and, and with Ricky um, not that long ago at one of these SODs, uh, Society of Distinguished Songwriters uh, events. And oh my God, man, there's so much charisma when he gets up on stage. I tell you, it's mind blowing. You know exactly what Larry Pond saw. Oh, well, it's nice of you to say that. But I, at this time in my life, I, I, um, I've never viewed myself as a, uh, anything special. I don't, I don't even think about it too much at all. And in fact, quite the reverse. I've always, I've always, I view myself as sort of like, still learning and you know like a, a learner of where all the other artists were so accomplished and and everything else so i don't have any i don't have high conceit i have i'm pr proud obviously of a lot of things that that i was involved with but i don't have colossal conceit i just think it's just part of life and and whenever i think i'm if I, you ever th even begin to think I, I, if i think i'm good of course, I'll, then I'll hear, you know, I hear Jealous Guy or one of the Beatles songs or one of the Queen songs or one of your songs. And you think, oh, hold on a minute, you know, you, you sit back there, boy, listen to this, you know. So I'm always, I try to keep, I'm always keep uh, kept on an even keel, as they say. All right, mate, listen, you, you better, get, better get back to, to learning your speeding. Uh, yeah, he comes in at... Uh, road traffic controls or whatever you've got to do. Speeding aware, speed awareness course, I've done a couple a of them. And you're right, it changes everything for about six months, then it's all gone. <laughs> and then I'll be speeding again. <laughs> all right, mate, listen, so nice to, to talk to you. And Absolute I'm, I'm looking joy to meet you. Oh, looking right, forward lovely to seeing you guys. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, all right. And, and thanks, for, thanks for the interest, you know, I'm humbled. Thank you. Very uh, you, you. You live in a part of rock and roll history that is, you know, that extraordinary moment when it, it started to blossom into something that we still talk, we still believe in today. You know, you, you were one of those first, very first people. Yeah. Um, and uh, you have to be on this show. And we th we thank you for your service. Oh, and I thank you for lis listening yeah. to an old 84-year-old oh, well, man uh, rambling. He was, it's so beautiful, isn't he? So beautiful. A sprightly, I believe, is the word that one may apply. He looked, he, to... looked, he looked cool in those glasses and his shirt. And he he's very, got very the quiff cool. still. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's, he's still... You also seem to have a very good camera. Did you notice he was beautifully sharp? You're, you're worried about that, aren't you? You're comparing his camera to your camera, aren't you? Well, of course I am. Am I sharp and in focus? No, you never have been. <laughs> <laughs> you're blurred in real life. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, focus has never been my strong no, point. I, I love that. And if you want to make some connections with Marty, I guess, in our past episode i suppose hank marvin is in there isn't he because brian bennett was one of uh, marty's was musicians he was his drummer who went on 
to join uh, the shadows. Well, that's, I, I think that the thing is that rather than joining the dots, what's amazing is that, is that Marty joins his own dots yeah. through to the aces and beyond. Yeah. You know, with Kevin. totally unique. That's what that's what's amazing. With that, do you know what's funny? So I said a little something. Is that I was really relieved when he said I didn't meet Lionel Bart till years later, because when I brought up my dad earlier and he just skirted it, and I thought, oh shit, I think there's a beef. <laughs> And look, he just didn't know. Yeah, he just wasn't, didn't wasn't know. around there. Uh, we make some extras, don't we, Guy? We make Rock and Tour extras. We do make extras, and you can have them. And they're, they're, I'm sure there'll be some from here. Uh, and all you have to do is go to rockontours.com uh, and sign up for them, and you will be rewarded Become richly. a subscriber, as it were. And yes. there's lots of things you can get through that. And um, thank you for listening uh, once more. And we thank Ian, who's produced us today for Gimme Sugar, because Ben is trapped in Canada. I think he's gone over there to Nickelback or something. Is it, do, 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 make see, a film? Yeah, see Nickelback. And uh, yeah, I think trapped by wildfires, I uh, guess. I suppose so. Yeah, smoke. Uh, and uh, safe journey back for him. And um, yeah, so it's good night from me. And good night from them. Rock on Tours is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions, a Warner Music Group UK. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.